Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today our guest is Anne Douglas, and Anne is a well-known writer on parenting. And Anne and I get into talking about her newest book titled Parenting Through the Storm. And it's really a guide to parenting uh, a child who's struggling, so potentially with mental health, with a neurodevelopmental disability, or some behavioral challenges that's making things a little bit harder than the average kid and family. And Anne and I talk about, you know, parenting. We also talk about, get into the topic of self-care and why taking care of ourselves is so important and how to start to think about that and how to, um, some tips and tactics on how to practice self-care in an effective way. And this is so important, not just for parents, but for um, all you supporters out there that, that are listening, supporters and, and caregivers. And it's uh, become a, a very big topic for uh, a lot of agencies and excited to, to get into the topic of self-care and, and give you some tips and, and tactics on that. So I'm going to welcome Anne into the podcast here. Here we go. Hey, Anne, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Thanks for joining today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, excited to chat with you. And uh, and coming up in a couple of weeks here, we're going to be at uh, a conference on self-care hosted by the Waterloo Region Family Network. And uh, that's really how we connected. So excited to be um, to hear you speak on um, on self-care and, and uh, help to, to educate the folks at the conference there. But um, and also excited to be on the panel with you there. And maybe, yes. yeah, maybe a good place to start and would be maybe just to talk a little bit about your book or your most recent book. I know you have several, but Parenting Through the Storm. So how to handle the highs, uh, the lows and everything in between. Maybe you could tell us maybe why you wrote the book and tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Um, Parenting Through the Storm is a guide to parenting a child who's struggling. And the child could be struggling with any number of things, but a couple of you know broad categories. It could be a mental health challenge. It could be a neurodevelopmental challenge. It could be a behavioral issue. But something is making life harder than average for that kid, and therefore their family as well is having probably a harder than average time. And the reason I wrote this book is because when they were younger, all four of my kids had some kind of struggle. Some had multiple issues. Some had, a, you know, one issue. And I remember feeling at the time that, you know, I must be doing it wrong because, you know, parenting is so hard and, and so on. And I desperately needed to know that things could get better. And I'm happy to say that things are so much better for each of my children. They're all doing extremely well in their own way. Um, and I guess the message I really wanted to get out to families is that parents are resilient, children are resilient, families are resilient, and that it's possible to go through all these storms together and to come out stronger and more connected on the other side. Mm. Yeah, that's that's powerful. What struck me there is the thought, I must be doing it wrong. And yes. I'm sure that connects with a lot of folks listening to to the podcast and uh, I'm curious, is there is there a right way? 
I think that there is a right way, but it's a right way for your family that you find over time. I don't think there's any sort of, you know, off the shelf kind of miracle cure for anything or miracle solution that applies to everybody. But I think along the way, you sort of, you know, you you figure out what your family member, in this case, your child needs from you and how to be the parent they need. And as I mentioned, I'm the parent of four kids and each of those four kids needed different things, different approach to parenting. And, you know, it used to sometimes make me laugh. One of the kids would say, well, you know, how come their rule is different than my rule? It's like, well, because that's your rule and that's their rule. You know, it's not just cookie cutter slices that you, you know, you share out between different family members because everybody needs the same thing because they don't. Even just in terms of parental attention, there were times when one of our kids needed about three quarters of our parenting energy, leaving like just tiny little slices of time and attention for the other kids. And at the time, I felt really guilty about that. But then I realized that things do tend to shift around. And, you know, maybe that kid needed a lot of time and attention at that point. But there were other times in the family when other kids had different needs. So I think that if we wake up in the morning feeling like we have to evenly divide our attention in four equal chunks, and we have to be the same parent to all these kids, we're just setting ourselves up for guilt, burnout and disaster. Mm-hmm. And, and I haven't yet read the book, I took a look at the table of contents. And to me, it it looks like it will help guide uh, a parent through figuring out what that right way is for them. Can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. What I wanted to do was to offer sort of a mix of practical advice from other parents who've been through this, you know, how to make sense of, uh, you know, how to navigate the mental health care system, how to advocate for your child at school, all those kind of practical things. But I also more than that wanting that wanted them to hear the voices of other parents who have walked this walk and who have learned some things along the way. So to research my book, I interviewed 50 other parents about their experiences raising children who had some kind of struggle or challenge. And I think what amazed me when I was hearing all these different stories is how often parents are on kind of a similar kind of journey. Maybe initially you're scared, you feel guilty, you feel like, you know, you've somehow let your child down. You know, there could be a lot of self-blame. And then over time, people realize, parents realize that they really did the best they could with the information they had about their child at the time and that nobody can ask more than that of you. So you shouldn't ask more than that of yourself. So there's a lot of self-compassion, forgiveness, and finding your way to um, maybe a new or different normal. It may not have been what you felt like you were signing up for at the beginning of this journey, but in the end, you realize that you really are amazed by the strength of your family member and what they've been able to learn or how they've grown or how your relationship has deepened. It could be any number of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love that. Where can folks listening to the podcast pick up your book? Sure, it is pretty widely available, Um, definitely available from your local independent bookseller or, you know, your your chain bookstore or online. Um, If people want to find out more about the book, they could go to my website, which is annedouglas.net, A-N-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S.net. And there's, you know, all kinds of information about the book, probably more than anybody would ever want, actually. But (laughs) at least it's there as a resource. Yeah, perfect. Okay, I'll link to that in the show notes so folks can find that and uh, as well in the blog. 
So the conference that we're going to be at, it's all about self-care. So now you, you talked a little bit about that within your book, but can you talk to us a little bit about this idea of self-care? I mean, we kind of hear it thrown around often, but um, what exactly is self-care and why should we care about it? Yes. Well, I think it's a really big deal. And, and it also gets a really bad rap because sometimes people think that self-care is all about being self-indulgent and, you know, sitting on the couch and eating bonbons and putting your feet up for the day, that kind of thing. For most people, I know that's not how it plays out. Although it could, if that's your ideal, wonderful day off kind of thing. But mainly it is about taking good care of yourself so that you still have something left to give to the family member who who needs you. I mean, when you're parenting a child who's struggling, you can't afford to get completely burnt out and depleted because without you, your child will be lost. Your child really needs to have a strong, healthy, centered parent in their court who can advocate for them and, and take good care of them. So even though it can feel incredibly selfish sometimes to take time off and take good care of yourself, I would argue that self-care isn't selfish at all. It's self-preservation. So that's sort of where I come to this topic. And I can tell you, it's not something I knew or understood up front. It's something I very much had to learn through the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. So and I want to dive into your experience and 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 hear about that in. But before we go there, so like self care, I mean the the common metaphor is putting your oxygen mask on first. Yes. Um. However, with that, I think different people might have different oxygen masks, or that might mean something different to to each of us. Right. And it's not, it's not something you do perfectly every single day. I mean, um, if your child's having a crisis or they're in the hospital or, you know, all the wheels are falling off the family bus right now, you're not going to, you know, perfectly hold it all together every single day. There will be days when, you know, how much time you have for self-care kind of ebbs and flows. But what you don't want to do is put it on the back burner for a year or a decade or two. You just need to remind yourself that staying strong is a good way of taking care of this other person. And I think as you were starting to comment, it could mean any number of things to different people. A big thing for me is walking. I usually go for two half hour walks a day, one early in the day, one usually after dinner. Because that helps to bring down my own anxiety level. I should mention to people listening that I happen to live with bipolar 2 disorder. So anybody who's familiar with that diagnosis knows I have to work a little harder than your average bear to manage my emotions. So the self-care piece of the puzzle is critical for both my mental health and my physical health. Mm -hmm. So the way I like to think about self-care is having almost like a toolbox or yes. uh, a toolkit or for you parents out there, moms and dads, you know, maybe a lunchbox would make sense. <laughs> um, so what are some of the things that uh, you would recommend that, you know, we could have in our lunchboxes or maybe we already, they're already there and we don't realize that we have them. Right. Well, I think a big thing is some kind of physical activity and whatever it is that makes you happy and makes you calm and relaxed, that's the perfect thing. Social support is key as well. I mean, we can't just sort of, um, you know, go into hermit mode and try to do all these, this emotional support for our family member on our own. We are healthy, healthier when we tap into support from the broader community. I mean, they say if it takes a village to raise a child. I would argue it also takes a village to support that child's parents. So you need to reach out for support from your village. 
And then for a lot of people, it is finding some kind of um, creative outlet or hobby that takes their focus away from their worries about their family member to that activity. There's actually a whole new body of research about what kind of rest gives you a mental vacation. And contrary to what a lot of people think, a lot of people think that the perfect thing is just to zone out on the couch and watch videos or something. Actually, the more actively your brain is engaged, the more refreshed you are by that break away from your worry. So, you know, for some people, it's like training for a marathon. For other people, it's like doing intricate hobbies. My cousin, who has two children on the autism spectrum, she loves to do cross stitch, which is like this painstakingly detailed thing where, you know, she can work months to get a, a piece of embroidery that's just a couple of inches square. But she says to me, that is how I mentally escape. And, and so that's what works for her. For me, it would be a source of endless frustration and my anxiety level would go through the roof. But that's just proof that each to each his or her own. Right, right. So some sort of physical element, social element in a creative or um, engaging element that's maybe outside of what your typical day to day is yes. or your, your, you know, what you do for, for work per se. Right. Okay. So yeah, so those are good things for folks to think about. What are those, um, you know, within physical, what uh, physical activity, what is that thing for, for me, right? For social, what is that thing for me? And for that creative outlet or engaging outlet, um, what is that, right? And for all of us, those things are different. Right. And you may even have like little mini activities like, you know, on the creative thing, maybe it's, uh, you know, flipping through design magazines and thinking about someday dot dot dot, I might like to do this kind of thing. Whereas, uh, you know, when you have more time, maybe you'll go to a workshop for a day or something. But just to know that you can take bite sized pieces of that task, even if today you can't, you know, go whole hog because life won't let you. Yeah. So that interesting. So life won't let you, right? So when I look at my family and the experience that my parents had, um, as I was, my, my sister and I were growing up again, my sister has a developmental disability for, um, folks that might be new to the, to the podcast, you know, for them, life was busy, right? It was, you know, mm-hmm. finish this thing onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing, always something going on. And a lot of things revolving around my sister and, and, and her care. So, for for parents and folks listening to this podcast, even, you know, parents or, you know, myself, where I, I don't have any kids, it's how do you make the time for this, right? And right. so all these things sound great. But do you have any suggestions on how to actually make self care a priority? I think a big thing is to let other people support you so that you can take care of yourself. So if somebody offers to come over and you know like I give this advice to new mums all the time too but if somebody offers to come over and make you a meal and do your laundry and stuff don't just say to yourself great now I will fill that time with 10,000 other obligations take at least a slice of that time to do something kind for yourself Um, and don't be afraid to reach out to other people for support sometimes people say they feel so guilty asking for help but think about how great it feels if you're the person who's able to help somebody else it's not Um, like imposing on that person by asking for help, you're actually giving them the opportunity to feel valued and to know that they made a difference for you. So lose the guilt about that and lose the guilt about the fact that some days you're going to fail at self-care because everybody on the planet has days like that. That's real life. Right. Right. For uh, that makes so much sense. Right. And, And when you do something, when I do something nice for somebody, it makes me feel good. 
right? Yes. So you're giving that person that opportunity to have that feeling. Um, so I totally agree with you there. Uh, one of the practices that I do for myself is I block out. Um, I, again, I don't have any kids and my lifestyle might be a little bit different, but I block out time in my calendar every single day and make that about self-care. So I block out the first two hours of my day and those right. first two hours I'm breaking a sweat, I'm meditating and I'm reading or I'm learning something. And that's kind of my way of keeping uh, my energy tank full. Right. And I love the way that you, you sort of block off the time because life has a habit of just spilling over and taking over every minute of your day if you aren't deliberate about it. I mean, sometimes at the end of the day, you can look back and think, gosh, I, you know, my, my phone notification thing is telling me I spent four hours on my phone. What? You know, if you could sort of seize back a little chunks of that time or, or mm. whatever, then um, I think Part of what works so well with what you were just talking about with the structure of blocking off time is it becomes more of a habit. And I went from being somebody who was completely sedentary to somebody who rarely has a day when I don't take at least one walk more often than not two in the course of a day. And it feels weird if I don't have that that walk. In fact, by the end of the day, I feel really restless and kind of grumpy. Right. Yeah. So creating the space, creating the time, looking at where, like you mentioned, maybe where you're wasting the time. Are you wasting it on your phone or watching TV or, you know, kind of reflecting on where that wasted time goes yeah. and how and can you, know, you reallocate it? Something I, I learned along the way, Eric, is that the days when I least feel like going for a walk, the days when I could easily talk myself into, you know, oh, no, there's precipitation outside. I can't possibly step outside my door. <laughs> Those are the days I desperately need to force myself out the door. And it never happens that, you know, 20 minutes into my walk, I say, sheesh, really wish I hadn't taken this stupid walk. No, it's always like I am so glad I took this walk because at about the 20 or 30 minute mark, something kicks in and I just feel so much better. So I would just say don't be seduced into thinking that just zoning out is going to give you the refreshment or the, or the mental break that you really need. Just do something different. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to die from getting a little wet, right? So, No, we are not like the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz. We will not melt. Yeah, exactly. So earlier, uh, Anne, you mentioned the, the School of Hard Knocks. So um, yeah. I'd love to hear about your personal journey and experience with, with self-care. We've talking, talked a lot about the theory of it, but yep. um, let's kind of get down into the nitty gritty of it. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I speak pretty openly about this because I got really burnt out and depleted. And I always feel like I can sort of be like a cautionary tale for other people who maybe feel themselves on that downward spiral, downward slope, and they aren't sure how much it matters if they put on the brakes. I would just say it matters. Um, back when things were at their worst with my kids, I was really, really exhausted. And so I got into this really bad habit of um, relying too much on caffeine. And by that, I mean, I would start my day by going to a local coffee shop and loading up on a couple of monster sized coffees, taking them with me to the office, eating those or drinking those eating a lot of, you know, simple carbohydrates that gave me the instant energy blast, but then that very quickly, you know, crashed into nothingness, taking my energy level with it. And I would do this sort of cycle all day of topping up the caffeine until it got to be dinner time. And then I would notice that I was kind of wired for sound. I was kind of talking at twice the pace of other people and that maybe it was time to start trying to wind down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then I would have a couple of glasses of wine, 
which was not a healthy thing to do at all. And I would find that I would fall asleep, but I didn't stay asleep. So I'd wake up at two in the morning, wide awake with my worry list tattooed on the inside of my eyeballs. And then I'd eventually get back to sleep only for it to be time to get up with the kids and start another day. So um, I can tell you, if you repeat this pattern, you go through this cycle often enough, you will gain over 100 pounds as I did. And then you'll have to work really hard to lose the extra weight as I also did. So I would just say, you know, cut to the chase and put the brakes on self-destructive, self-depleting behavior when you see yourself in that cycle. And it can just be a matter of, you know, switching up a couple of things. For me, it was keeping a food diary, starting to walk, reaching out for support, saying to other people I loved and trusted, you know what, I can't handle this on your my own. I need your support and encouragement to turn the situation around. And people were amazing. Wow. And as you tell your story, I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people listening. Like, there's so many of us in these habits of being really reliant on caffeine to have, you know, to have any energy, uh, or, you know, to have those one or two or three or whatever number of glasses of wine at the end of the night to, to wind down. Right. It's, it's almost, I'd almost say it's almost become a cultural thing that, that we do those things. Yes. Yeah. Really important. I think to look at that and, you know, even just, the, the marketing messages that tell you that you can't relax without having a drink in your hand. Well, think about, you know, the long-term depletion of yourself if that becomes your daily normal. Wow. That's a, that's a powerful story. So thank you for, for sharing that, Anne. It was my pleasure. Yeah. So, Anne, one of your, you know, real areas of expertise is around parenting. So as uh, for those parents out there um, that feel that maybe they're just, you know, really struggling with their self care, and maybe that blows up into feeling like they're not, you know, doing the right thing with with their parenting or with their kids, and it, you know, manifests in some sort of situation. Um, what are some ways that parents can deal with those types of situations where, you know, they're they're really struggling with with their with their child? I think you can do a couple of different things to make things start to feel better because I know how awful it feels on the bad days of parenting when you just sort of feel like, oh man, I just don't have what it takes to do this right. It's a horrible feeling. So the first thing I would say is to to hit the pause button and to do some conscious thinking about what it is you want for your child and your family. Sometimes we lose sight of those big picture dreams, the you know the hopes and dreams we have for our children and our families in the, the day-to-day hurricane that can be parenting. So reconnect with those ideas so that that way you remember why you're trying so hard and why you're going to keep trying even harder to, to be the best possible parent for your child. And then Start out, I would say, by calming yourself, because if your child is acting out and you respond with anger and stress, the situation just escalates and they act out more. And then, you know, you can become more punitive or grumpy or, and it just it's a horrible downward spiral. So much better to hit the pause button, calm yourself, calm your child. And a couple of things you can do that are really practical and simple things that work so well are to, um, first of all, ask yourself, what does my child need for me right now, as opposed to sort of fixating on your emotions and how frustrated you feel. Maybe there's some practical need that you can just address, and then the problem is solved. And 
If your child is completely flipping out about something, I would say look for opportunities to validate your child's feelings, to let your child know that their thoughts and their feelings make sense. Because everybody feels calmed when somebody responds in that way. So uh, those are just like a couple of really simple ideas, but they're also really powerful ideas that I, I honestly wish I had known at the beginning as opposed to midway through my, my life as a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's very practical advice. And I, I'm picturing, you know, being in those heat of the moment conversations with my parents and, and how they could have gone differently. And I, I think you're right in terms of it really starts with the emotional control and realizing yes. where you're at. Um, do you have any any thoughts on how to strengthen that emotional control? I think just to have that connection so that that way your child knows that they can come to you anytime. You'll always be in their court. So that real unconditional love as opposed to feeling like, you know, if I act up in this way, they aren't going to love me anymore because nobody wants to be feeling those kind of emotions. And I think as parents, it's also about taking breaks from time to time because you can't do this job 24-7 in full intensity. And if you're dealing with any kind of child with a struggle, it is in, you know, technicolor intensity. So you do need time off for good behavior just so that you can pause, refresh, reflect, and go back in to the situation with new insights on what you could handle differently or better. When you get really stressed and depleted, you're just going to keep repeating the same old behaviors because your brain doesn't have the capacity to, to do a lot of creative thought when, you know, when your brain's getting drenched in stress hormones. Right. And as a parent in those kind of heat of the moment situations, does it sometimes it make sense to just step away for a couple minutes and then come back to it? Yeah, as long as your child is safe. And, um, you know, I think we can have different ways of dealing with that. If you have somebody who can be backup right with you, just say to the other person, I need a break right now or call a friend, text a friend, say, could you come over for 15 minutes? I just need to, you know, have a little break. And, And most people are only too happy to help if they're around and they can. So not to be afraid to reach out for that kind of support and not to feel like you're you're doing it wrong if you ask for help. I mean, we all know on an emo- on a, an intellectual level, at least, that reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Sometimes it's just a little harder in real life to push ourselves to make that call. Right, right. And t- to just be willing to ask, right, is a, is a yes. big, big piece of it. So yeah. it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you've given a ton of valuable tips and, and insights and uh, knowledge to, to our listeners today on self-care and, and parenting. And um, we'll, again, share a link so that people can pick up the book um, if they're interested. And, and how can folks learn more about you and, um, and get in, in contact with you? Uh, best way is via the Parenting Through the Storm website, which is um, annedouglas.net, or I am, I'm obsessed with Twitter, so if you love Twitter too, you can always find me, not always, but far too often, you can find me hanging out on Twitter, having conversations about parenting and mental health, and on Twitter, I'm just Ann Douglas, A-N-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S. Okay. Perfect. So check Anne out on Twitter or uh, or on our website. And uh, again, we'll link to all those things in the show notes and in the blog. So Anne, thanks so much for, for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for asking so many great questions. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay. And we'll talk soon. Well, we'll see you in the conference. So yeah. looking forward to that. Okay, see you soon. 
sending out a big, big thank you to Anne Douglas for joining me on the podcast today and sharing some great insights and tips on parenting and self-care. And I really encourage you to think about yourself and how you take care of yourself. Are you giving yourself what you need in order to be fully there for those people that you love and that you serve. That could be, again, it could be your kids, could be a sibling, it could be your grandkids, or it could be your colleagues or clients. And really, it all starts with self-care and putting yourself in a position so that you have the energy and the resiliency and uh, you're in a good place from a mental health perspective in order to serve others. So I'd love for you to take a few minutes and think about your own self-care routine. And maybe there's a few things that stood out in this podcast that you can experiment with and try to um, integrate into your life. And just give that a shot and, and see how it goes. And if housing is something that you're working on, uh, feel free to go to the website and get the free download on creating your home. So there's this great workbook that's going to help guide you through creating your vision and starting to implement your vision for what your home looks like. So go on over to the website. It's empoweringability.org. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of that. I'd like to thank all of our listeners that have left us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help me understand what I'm doing well, what I can improve on on the podcast, what you want to hear. So it's great feedback that you're providing. So please continue to do so. Also, by leaving a five-star review, it helps other people find the podcast. So thanks so much for those reviews and keep them coming. Next week on the podcast, I share a powerful story. And this story is shared by... Team Bill. So Team Bill is composed of Bill Hiltz, Joyce Blatz, and Arn Rowe. And um, Bill is a gentleman that's just turning 40, and he lived in an institution when he was younger. And the story is about Bill breaking free from that institution and the story of how his life has evolved and how Bill's capability has increased immensely because of the amazing people that have come into his life and shown him love and respect. And I'm really excited to share Bill's story. And it's a very powerful one that carries some powerful messages for all of us, uh, no matter if we uh, provide care for people with disabilities or we have disabilities ourselves. It's a very powerful story about humanity and the human spirit. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy that podcast. Don't miss it. And as always, thanks so much for listening today and looking forward to catching you next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.